Section 47 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson, Volume 2, Chapter 3, Progress of Scientific Chemistry in France, Part 4. The next paper in which the doctrines of the antiphlogistic theory were still further developed was inserted in the Memoirs of the Academy for 1777. It is entitled On the Combustion of Candles in Atmospherical Air and in Air Eminently Respirable. This paper is remarkable because in it he first notices Dr. Priestley's discovery of oxygen gas, but without any reference to the preceding paper, or any apology for not having alluded in it to the information which he had received from Dr. Priestley. He begins by saying that it is necessary to distinguish four different kinds of air. One, atmospherical air in which we live and in which we breathe. Two, pure air, oxygen, alone fit for breathing, constituting about the fourth of the volume of atmospherical air, and called by Dr. Priestley, dephlogisticated air. 3. Azotic gas, which constitutes about three-fourths of the volume of atmospherical air, and whose properties are still unknown. 4. Fixed air, which he proposed to call, as Buquet had done, acid crayu, acid of chalk. In this paper, Lavoisier gives an account of a great many trials that he made by burning candles in given volumes of atmospherical air and oxygen gas enclosed in glass receivers, standing over mercury. The general conclusion which he deduces from these experiments are that the azotic gas of the air contributes nothing to the burning of the candle, but the whole depends upon the oxygen gas of the air constituting in his opinion one-fourth of its volume that during the combustion of a candle in a given volume of air only two-fifths of the oxygen are converted into carbonic acid gas while the remaining three-fifths remain unaltered but when the combustion goes on in oxygen gas a much greater proportion almost the whole of this gas is converted into carbonic acid gas Finally, that phosphorus, when burnt in air, acts much more powerfully on the oxygen of the air than a lighted candle, absorbing four-fifths of the oxygen and converting it into phosphoric acid. It is evident that at the time this paper was written, Lavoisier's theory was nearly complete. He considered air as a mixture of the three volumes of azotic gas and one volume of oxygen gas. The last alone was concerned in combustion and calcination. During these processes, a portion of the oxygen united with the burning body, and the compound form constituted the acid or the calx. Thus he was able to account for combustion and calcination without having recourse to phlogiston. It is true that several difficulties still lay in his way which he was not yet able to obviate, and which prevented any other person from adopting his opinions. One of the greatest of these was the fact that hydrogen gas was evolved during the solution of several metals in dilute sulfuric or muriatic acid, 
that by this solution these metals were converted into calces, and that calces, when heated in hydrogen gas, were reduced to the metallic state while the hydrogen disappeared. The simplest explanation of these phenomena was the one adopted by chemists at the time. Hydrogen was considered as phlogiston. By dissolving metals in acids, the phlogiston was driven off and the calx remained. By heating the calx in hydrogen, the phlogiston was again absorbed and the calx reduced to the metallic state. This explanation was so simple and appeared so satisfactory that it was universally adopted by chemists with the exception of Lavoisier himself. There was a circumstance, however, which satisfied him that this explanation, however plausible, was not correct. The calx was heavier than the metal from which it had been produced, and hydrogen, though a light body, was still possessed of weight. It was obviously impossible then that the metal could be a combination of the calx and hydrogen. Besides, he had ascertained by direct experiment that the calces of mercury, tin, and lead are compounds of the respective metals and oxygen. And it was known when the other calces were heated with charcoal, they were reduced to the metallic state, and at the same time carbonic acid gas is evolved. The very same evolution takes place when calces of mercury, tin, and lead are heated with charcoal powder. Hence the inference was obvious that carbonic acid is a compound of charcoal and oxygen, and therefore that all calces are compounds of their respective metals and oxygen. Thus, although Lavoisier was unable to account for the phenomena connected with the evolution and absorption of hydrogen gas, he had conclusive evidence that the orthodox explanation was not the true one. He wisely, therefore, left it to time to throw light upon those parts of the theory that were still obscure. His next paper, which was likewise inserted in the Memoirs of the Academy for 1777, had some tendency to throw light on this subject, or at least it elucidated the constitution of sulfuric acid, which bore directly upon the antiphlogistic theory. It was entitled On the Solution of Mercury in Vitriolic Acid, and on the Resolution of that Acid into Aeriform Sulfurous Acid, and into Air Eminently Respirable. He had already proved that sulfuric acid is a compound of sulfur and oxygen, and had even shown how the oxygen which the acid contained might be again separated from it, and exhibited in a separate state. Dr. Priestley had by this time made known the method of procuring sulfurous acid gas by heating a mixture of mercury and sulfuric acid in a file. This was the process which Lavoisier analyzed in the present paper. He put into a retort a mixture of four ounces mercury and six ounces concentrated sulfuric acid. The beak of the retort was plunged into a mercurial cistern to collect the sulfurous acid gas as it was evolved, and heat being applied to the belly of the retort, sulfurous acid gas passed over in abundance, and sulfate of mercury was formed. The process was continued till the whole liquid contents of the retort had disappeared. Then a strong heat was applied to the salt. In the first place, a quantity of sulfurous acid gas passed over, and lastly a portion of oxygen gas. 
the quicksilver was reduced to the metallic state. Thus he resolved sulfuric acid into sulfurous acid and oxygen. Hence it followed as a consequence that sulfurous acid differs from sulfuric merely by containing a smaller quantity of oxygen. The object of his next paper, published at the same time, was to throw light upon the pyrophorus of Homburg, which was made by kneading alum into a cake with flour or some substance containing abundance of carbon, and then exposing the mixture to a strong heat in close vessels, till it ceased to give out smoke. It was known that a pyrophorus thus formed takes fire of its own accord, and burns when it comes in contact with common air. It will not be necessary to enter into a minute analysis of this paper, because though the experiments were very carefully made, yet it was impossible, at the time when the paper was drawn, to elucidate the phenomena of this pyrophorus in a satisfactory manner. There can be little doubt that pyrophorus owes its property of catching fire when in contact with air or oxygen to a little potassium, which has been reduced to the metallic state by the action of the charcoal and sulfur on the potash in the alum. This substance taking fire, heat enough is produced to set fire to the carbon and sulfur which the pyrophorus contains. Lavoisier ascertained that during its combustion, a good deal of carbonic acid was generated. There appeared likewise another paper by Lavoisier in the same volume of the Academy, which may be mentioned as it served still further to demonstrate the truth of the antiphlogistic theory. It is entitled, On the Vitrealization of Martial Pyrites. Iron pyrites is known to be a compound of iron and sulfur. Sometimes this mineral may be left exposed to the air without undergoing any alteration, while at other times it speedily splits effervesces, swells, and is converted into sulfate of iron. There are two species of pyrites, the one composed of two atoms of sulfur and one atom of iron, the other of one atom of sulfur and one atom of iron. The first of these is called bisulfurate of iron, the second protosulfurate, or simply sulfurate of iron. The variety of pyrites which undergoes spontaneous decomposition in the air is known to be a compound, or rather mixture, of the two species of pyrites. Lavoisier put a quantity of the decomposing pyrites under a glass jar, and found that the process went on just as well as in the open air. He found that the air was deprived of the whole of its oxygen by the process, and that nothing was left but azotic gas. Hence the nature of the change became evident. The sulfur, by uniting with oxygen, was converted into sulfuric acid, while the iron became oxide of iron, and both uniting formed sulfate of iron. There are still some difficulties connected with this change that require to be elucidated. We have still another paper by Lavoisier bearing on the antiphlogistic theory, published in the same volume of the Memoirs of the Academy for 1778, entitled On Combustion in General. He establishes that the only air capable of supporting combustion is oxygen gas, that during the burning of bodies in common air, a portion of the oxygen of the atmosphere disappears and unites with the burning body, and that the new compound formed is either an acid or metallic calx. 
When sulfur is burnt, sulfuric acid is formed. When phosphorus, phosphoric acid, and when charcoal, carbonic acid. The calcination of metals is a process analogous to combustion, differing chiefly by the slowness of the process. Indeed, when it takes place rapidly, actual combustion is produced. After establishing these general principles, which are deduced from his preceding papers, he proceeds to examine the Stallian theory of phlogiston, and shows that no evidence of the existence of any such principle can be adduced, and that the phenomena can all be explained without having recourse to it. Powerful as these arguments were, they produced no immediate effect. Nobody chose to give up the phlogistic theory to which he had been so long accustomed. The next two papers of Lavoisier require merely to be mentioned, as they do not bear immediately upon the antiphlogistic theory. They appeared in the Memoirs of the Academy for 1780. These memoirs were, one, second memoir on the different combinations of phosphoric acid, two, on a particular process by means of which phosphorus may be converted into phosphoric acid without combustion. The process here described consisted in throwing phosphorus, by a few grains at a time, into warm nitric acid of the specific gravity 1.29895. It falls to the bottom like melted wax, and dissolves pretty rapidly with effervescence. Then another portion is thrown in, and the process is continued till as much phosphorus has been employed as is wanted. Then the phosphoric acid may be obtained pure by distilling off the remaining nitric acid, with which it is still mixed. Hitherto, Lavoisier had been unable to explain the anomalies respecting hydrogen gas, or to answer the objections urged against his theory in consequence of these anomalies. He had made several attempts to discover what peculiar substance was formed during the combustion of hydrogen, but always without success. At last, in 1783, he resolved to make the experiment upon so large a scale that whatever the product might be, it should not escape him. But Sir Charles Blagden, who had just gone to Paris, informed him that the experiment which he was preparing had already been made by Mr. Cavendish, who had ascertained that the product of the combustion of hydrogen was water. Lavoisier saw at a glance the vast importance of this discovery for the establishment of the antiphlogistic theory, and with what ease it would enable him to answer all the plausible objections which had been brought forward against his opinions in consequence of the evolution of hydrogen, when metals were calcined by solution in acids, and the absorption of it when metals were reduced in an atmosphere of this gas. He therefore resolved to repeat the experiment of Cavendish with every possible care, and upon a scale sufficiently large to prevent ambiguity. The experiment was made on the 24th of June, 1783, by Lavoisier and Laplace, in the presence of M. Leroy, M. Verdemond, and Sir Charles Blagden, who was at that time secretary of the Royal Society. The quantity of water formed was considerable and they found that water was a compound of 1 volume oxygen and 1.91 volume hydrogen. Not satisfied with this, he soon after made another experiment, along with M. Mousnier, to decompose water. For this purpose, a porcelain tube filled with iron water was heated red-hot by being passed through a furnace, 
and then the steam of water was made to traverse the red-hot wire. To the further extremity of the porcelain tube, a glass tube was looted, which terminated in a water trough under an inverted glass receiver placed to collect the gas. The steam was decomposed by the red-hot iron wire, its oxygen united to the wire, while the hydrogen passed on and was collected in the water cistern. Both of these experiments, though not made till 1783, and though the latter of them was not read to the Academy till 1784, were published in the volume of the Memoirs for 1781. It is easy to see how this important discovery enabled Lavoisier to obviate all the objections to his theory from hydrogen. He showed that it was evolved when zinc or iron was dissolved in dilute sulfuric acid, because the water underwent decomposition, its oxygen uniting to the zinc or iron, and converting it into an oxide, while its hydrogen made its escape in the state of gas. Oxide of iron was reduced when heated in contact with hydrogen gas because the hydrogen united to the oxygen of the acid and formed water, and of course the iron was reduced to the state of a metal. I consider it unnecessary to enter into a minute detail of these experiments, because in fact they added very little to what had been already established by Cavendish but it was this discovery that contributed more than anything else to establish the antiphlogistic theory. Accordingly, the great object of Dr. Priestley and other advocates of the phlogistic theory was to disprove the fact that water is a compound of oxygen and hydrogen. Scheele admitted the fact that water is a compound of oxygen and hydrogen, and doubtless had he lived would have been a convert to the antiphlogistic theory as Dr. Black actually did. In short, it was the discovery of the compound nature of water that gave the Lavoisierian theory the superiority over that of Stahl. Till the time of this discovery, every body opposed the doctrine of Lavoisier, but within a very few years after it, hardly any supporters of phlogiston remained. Nothing could be more fortunate for Lavoisier than this discovery, or afford him greater reason for self-congratulation. We see the effect of this discovery upon his next paper, on the formation of carbonic acid, which appeared in the memoirs of the Academy for 1781. There, for the first time, he introduces new terms, showing by that that he considered his opinions as fully established. To the dephlogisticated air of Priestley, or his own pure air, he now gives the name of oxygen. The fixed air of black he designates carbonic acid, because he considered it as a compound of carbon, the pure part of charcoal, and oxygen. The object of this paper is to determine the proportions of the constituents. He details a great many experiments, and deduces from them all that carbonic acid gas is a compound of carbon, 0.75, and oxygen, 1.93. Now, this is a tolerably near approximation to the truth, the true constituents as determined by modern chemists being carbon, 0.75, and oxygen, 2. The next paper of M. Lavoisier, which appeared in the Memoirs of the Academy for 1782, published in 1785, shows how well he appreciated the importance of the discovery of the composition of water.
It is entitled General Considerations on the Solution of the Metals in Acids. He shows that when metals are dissolved in acids, they are converted into oxides, and that the acid does not combine with the metal, but only with its oxide. When nitric acid is the solvent, the oxidizement takes place at the expense of the acid, which is resolved into nitrous gas and oxygen. The nitrous gas makes it escape and may be collected, but the oxygen unites with the metal and renders it an oxide. He shows this with respect to the solution of mercury in nitric acid. He collected the nitrous gas given out during the solution of the metal in the acid then evaporated the solution to dryness and urged the fire till the mercury was converted into red oxide the fire being still further urged the red oxide was reduced and the oxygen gas given off was collected and measured he showed that the nitrous gas and the oxygen gas thus obtained added together formed just the quantity of nitric acid which had disappeared during the process a similar experiment was made by dissolving iron in nitric acid and then urging the fire till the iron was freed from every foreign body and obtained in the state of black oxide end of section forty seven recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com